Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Um, But hey, we've been in this series for five weeks now. It's called Awakening. Uh, That's not a word that we deal with a lot today in church, but it is a great word, Awakening. We've been looking at specifically the power of prayer and fasting to change us. To change us, to change others, to change our lives, to hopefully change our world. And, and we're doing that, prayer and fasting, and, and how it changes us is, is through really sort of weaning us off from dependence upon things and leading us to understand and to grow in dependency upon God. And as we, as we jump in today, and we wrap up the series today, I want us to think about something that blows me away every time I think of it. You know, we're the modern church, right? First world country, 21st century, the modern church. The early church, the first and second century early church had very little of what we think we need. They had very little of what the modern church has and what the modern church thinks that we need for ministry, to be successful. They had very little of that, if any. They didn't have big buildings, Think about it. They met in homes. They didn't have big buildings. They didn't have money. In fact, some of the poorest people on earth, especially right after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus and the birth of the church, some of the poorest people on earth were the Christians. So no money. They didn't have political pool or favor. Rome didn't like them at all. And and again, that, that very early first century church there right after Jesus The Jews didn't like them either. So that may even be a negative. You put that in the negative category. No political favor, no political pull. And they didn't have social status. You know that little like and subscribe button? Yeah, they they didn't even have one because no one was going to push it. So no buildings, no money, no political pull, no social status. And yet they changed the world. Let that sink in. Nothing that we would say we need for ministry did they have, but they changed the world. How did they do that? Well, they had complete dependence upon God. They didn't have anything else. So the the Holy Spirit ignited them, ignited them, and and meant movement and, and awakening and revival, and all of it spread like wildfire through a hostile Roman world. And they established churches At first by the hundreds and then by the thousands. And they had followers at first by the thousands and then the tens of thousands and then the hundreds of thousands. And it's just an amazing thing. And then in the centuries that followed and even the millennia that followed, from time to time you see awakenings that happen. That move across just about every continent on the earth. Awakenings, these big movements, these revivals, these sweep the the, the particular countries, the particular continents. We're going to talk about some of those uh, a little bit later in the message. We're going to look at several of them and break them down a little bit. You're going to hear about some of these uh, awakenings. Some of them are really personal uh, to me. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But as we jump in today, here's our first big thought for the day. It's our only real thought for the day. Everything else is going to come under this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer and fasting releases us from dependence on those things we think we need and directs us to what we really need or redirects us to what we really need, which is dependence upon God. 
Let me repeat it. I don't like to repeat much, but I'll repeat this. Prayer and fasting releases us from dependence upon what we think we need and redirects us to dependence upon, upon what we really need, which is dependence upon God. Now, 2022, let that just soak in your mind. Again, every, that's just an umbrella. Everything's going to come under this. 2022 in the local church is our year of release. You remember Pastor Eric did a series on, called Release, right? He did a series on this. Many of you were active in that series, and you filled out those release cards, and you dropped them, uh, you, you set them up on stage, and then we created this little box that's on the wall in the lobby out there, acrylic box, so that we can put them in there, and we can sort of think about the time that we released things to the Lord. And real revival, I'm convinced, real revival and real movement or real awakening in America is not going to happen until we get this part right as the church. And I've seen things, I want to talk about some things that I see because we've released some things, right? You guys have gone through in this series, you've released some things to God. Prayer and fasting has helped you with that. Some of you fasted uh, a day. Some of you fasted a meal uh, or a day's worth of meals. Some of you fasted Netflix or entertainment or something like that, right? And you gave that time to the Lord in prayer. But I want to add something to that because that's a lot of individual. I want to add something to it that I see the church as a whole and not just us. I'm talking the American church because we haven't had an awakening in a long time. And believe me, we need one. And so I want to talk about the church at large today. And, and, and I want to bring it back to, we got to get back to people matter. We got to get back to people matter to God and they matter to us. And so I don't know if you've noticed it, but society is pretty divided today. And, and listen, so is the church. The church in America is as divided. I've lived six centuries, six centuries, six decades going to feel like six centuries, about two o'clock today. Six, de six decades. I'm rushing it. Lift six, six decades. But I can tell you, it's as divided as I've ever seen it. And I've been pretty aware. Uh, I've, been, I've been a Christian for 42 years. I, I've, I've been watched politics. I've watched all of it uh, for, for that long. We're as divided as, as we've ever been. And here, here's what I think is going on is that it's normal that we, that we don't see everything alike. It's normal that we may not agree on societal, uh, cultural, political things. It's normal that we could disagree on some of those things. That's, that's just normal. We don't, we don't see things alike. We, we may not vote alike on certain things or certain people. All of that's normal. All of that has always been. But what's different today is that we divide over it. I think we sometimes are, are, are quasi-manipulated, even sort of willingly manipulated into dividing over things. And listen, church, <clears throat> we've divided over things that Jesus never divided over, and we've divided over things that he's never asked us to divide over as the church. The world's going to be the world. I'm talking about us. We should be different. But we're dividing over things that Jesus never divided over, and he never asked us to divide over. I want to put this on the screen. It's going to help us to understand it. Take this down in your notes. Disagreement is normal, but division is cancer. 
Disagreement is normal. We're going to disagree on some things. But division, where we are now, is a cancer to the church. And I think it's the reason that we're not seeing some great awakenings happen. Because we think we have to solve all these things. Again, sometimes we're manipulated into this, but it's always willingly. Nobody goes kicking and and screaming, being dragged into sin. There's part of us that wants to go there. And so we've been quasi-manipulated into thinking we have to solve all of these sorts of societal, cultural, political differences that we have. Now we have to solve them. And so what we do is, even as the church, we put our emotional selves, we put our energies, uh, we put our passion from things that should belong to God, and we put them in these little camps, and we encamp ourselves in it, and we'll plant our flag, and we'll draw a line in the sand, and this is where I am, and this is who I am. And, and, and again, we, we, we divide over, we, do, we draw lines over, we plant flags in where Jesus never did that. And he never asked us to do that. And sometimes we'll even, especially if we're believers, because we want, we want these little camps to win, you know, we'll keyboard warrior our way off through the other little camps, and we'll baptize these things and we'll attach scripture to them, acting as if God himself has left the, the, his eternal mission, which is to win souls, and, and is now in our little camp with us, and we're tra- uh, trailblazing through other little camps. That's division, church. And that's where a lot of us are. And that's what we need to release to God as the church and as the church in America. Now, again, I want to help us with some of that. It's one thing just to say, we're divided. Everybody says, yeah, I know, we're divided. I want to give us some help with it. How do we get undivided? (laughs) How do we get back to getting our eyes on eternal things and not just all our, our, our passion, our energy into temporal things? How do we get back to here? Here's what I do. I ask myself, what did Jesus get, get upset about? What bothered Jesus? Because on this day, Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, roughly, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, right? He's riding into Jerusalem. By Friday, he would be put on a cross, crucified, and murdered. But this is him riding in on Palm Sunday. And I I, want to tell you, and we don't think about this very often, but we should. Everything that we face that divides us existed in his day, times 10, times 100. Rome was a real oppressor. Rome was a real oppressor. Rome came up with various ways, ingenious ways to kill people. Crucifixion was a Roman invention. And the root of it is where we get the word excruciating from. Okay, Rome was an oppressor. The lands that they would take over, like they did Israel, they would put a really high tax upon and bleed them dry. And listen, if you didn't pay the tax, they could take you. They could take your wife. Or worse, they could take your children. Your son goes to the Roman army. Your daughter goes to the Roman soldiers. That's oppression. Rome was an oppressor in those days. Slavery existed. Rome had lots of slaves. All roads lead to Rome. How do you think they got built? So there's oppression. There's, there's slavery. There's, there's ethnic hatred. There's racism. The Jews couldn't stand the Samaritans. The Samaritans couldn't stand the Jews. The Jews wouldn't even go through there. And Jesus spoke to some of these things. I need to go to Samaria today. I got to visit these people. And he did. He spoke to some of these things. 
But what really bothered him? What did he lose it over? Even all of these things existed times 10, times 100 that we see today that we're so divided over were right there in front of Jesus. But what really moved him? We don't have to guess. It's not even a debate. It's right here in Luke 19. Let's look at it. Luke 19. Now, verse 41, if you're following along. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. That's Jerusalem. He's riding in on the donkey. It's Palm Sunday. They didn't call it Palm Sunday in that day, but he's riding in. It's Passover. Like any good Jew, everybody's coming to town. Jesus sees the city. He sees everything that's going on. You think it would be a happy celebration, but he weeps over the city. Why? If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. In other words, you've missed it. You missed me. I'm the Messiah King. I've been with you for three years in and out of Judah, in and out of Jerusalem, up to Galilee. I've been all over the area, but you haven't seen me, Jews, for who I really am. I'm the Messiah King. I was sent for the house of Israel first and then to the Gentiles. If you'd only known for what made your peace, but, but now blindness has overtaken you. In other words, a willful blindness. They missed the Messiah King. And Jesus wept over that. Let's look at what was going to happen. Verse 43. Because of that, and listen, it's still true. When people miss the Messiah King, when they miss Jesus... It's destruction. Look at verse 43. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children with you to the ground, and they will not leave in you, O Jerusalem, one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, destruction is going to come. You missed the Messiah. And this happened. Destruction would happen. The walls would be torn down. The temple would be torn down. This happened 37 years later. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on that day in 33 AD. By 70 AD, the, the Jews had had enough. They're protesting the way they're treated. They're protesting your, your, the, the taxes and, and everything else. Their oppression, they're protesting. Rome comes in and annihilates them. They slaughter them. Women... Old people, children, five-year-olds, people that couldn't defend themselves. It did not matter if they could put their hands on them. They slaughtered them. And the extra-biblical sources tell us that the bodies were stacked so high you couldn't see over them. Some, some got away. In fact, many got away. Many fled the city. It's known as the diaspora or the dispersion of the Jews. So Israel's done. 70 AD, Israel ceases really to exist. They don't come around to be in a nation again until 1948. Right after World War II. That's the kind of destruction that was happening. And Jesus weeps over the city because the city is lost. The people are lost. Israel is lost. They, the Messiah King is right there with them and they don't see him. They don't see him for who he really is. And the word weep carries some weight here for us. Uh, Jesus cries twice in the New Testament. Do you remember? Do you remember? The, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Yes. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. That was over Lazarus. That wasn't here in Luke. It was in John when Jesus, is, Lazarus was a friend. Uh, and Lazarus is there. He, he, he's passed away. His 
daughter or his sisters are there. His family's there. The community is there. Everybody's mourning Lazarus. And Jesus, in his humanity, that's what I love about him. In his, he's full deity, but he's fully human. And in his humanity, he gets caught up in the, in the emotion and, and he weeps over Lazarus. That, that kind of weeping that Jesus did as a friend of Lazarus is different. It means tears welled up in his eyes and they ran down his cheeks. And we, we do that. That's weeping. That is good. But the weeping that he does in Luke is different. The weeping that he does over the city, over the lost, is different. It's a, it's a, it's a different Greek word. It's a guttural cry. It's a deep wrenching and retching. It's an ugly cry. Jesus ugly cries over Jerusalem. Jesus lost it over the lost. Now, obvious question, do we? Jesus cried an ugly cry over his city. Do we? When's the last time that you ugly cried over someone who was lost? I mean, again, a 10-mile radius around our church, almost a million people, 97% of which don't identify as being a believer, 97% of which don't go anywhere to worship anything. And when's the last time we've ugly cried over our city? Jesus lost it over the lost. You know, I remember the first time I lost it over the lost. It was 1984. Tracy and I had been married three years. And uh, I was trying to finish a degree. Uh, we, we were trying to start a family. And I was working nights at the post office. Now, you want a good gig. Work nights at the post office. That's a, that's a lot of fun. Actually, it was a good job, and I made a lot of friends there. And, and one in particular was a guy named Roger. And Roger was uh, a, a smart, smart guy, valedictorian of his class, smartest guy that I'd met up till that point. He would have three books going at once, different genres. You know, I mean, like, like just different genres. Uh, and and I'm, I'm thinking, man, just pick one. But, but, but he'd rotate each night he'd bring in one of those three. He had three books. Some of you probably do that. I thought it was weird at the time, but, but I love this guy. His humor was that dry wit, that funny, edgy, and he would just, he would deliver it and just let it sit there and he'd just grin at you as, you, as it just soaks in. I, I love that kind of humor. I loved Roger, uh, but Roger was raised in a cult. Uh, Roger didn't have a real good picture from the very beginning of who God was and God's love for him. His parents raised him in a cult, and that put a lot of barriers in his way. And by the way, parents, don't do that. Don't, don't raise your kids in, in weirdness. Uh, man, don't put up barriers for your kid. When God comes calling, and he will to, to all of us, man, you don't want barriers put up, that you put up. So don't put up those barriers. His family did. They, he, he was raised in a cult. He considered himself an atheist. And about a year of us working together, though, I was a new Christian. All I knew was my testimony. I didn't know a lot about the Bible. Uh, I loved it. I, I was reading it. I was learning. But I didn't feel comfortable enough to, to, to really dive in and say, well, this is why this. And, and so I just shared my testimony. I shared who I was, what God did for me, and who I am now. And by the way, that's the, that's the strongest thing you can do. Everybody has a testimony. You can share that. And it made a difference in this atheist life. I think the needle moved. I think he was agnostic maybe by the time uh, that we parted ways. Uh, and I, 
but, but I remember going in the restroom. This, I, it was just a regular work night. And it just hit me, though, that Roger doesn't know Jesus. And I ugly cried over him. It's like, it would have been embarrassing if anybody would have seen or whatever. I go in a store, I just ugly cry over Roger. I come out, everything's... But I remember it was probably a couple of years later, and again, we had parted ways, and I heard that Roger had, had died. He'd passed away. And I went and ugly cried again over my friend because I wanted him to know Jesus. And I knew he knew how just simply because I shared how I came to Christ. I, I knew he knew how. And my prayer is that he did, and my prayer is that I'll see Roger. He'll be one of the first people I see when I, when I get to heaven. But Jesus ugly cried over the lost. Now, church, that's the first time that I, that I lost it over the lost. I'm just going to be real honest. I don't remember the last time. And I'm a pastor, and that's a problem. We need to, we need to cry over our city again. We need to cry over the lost again. We have to get out of these camps that we're in that's taking all of our time, all of our attention, all of our energy that the enemy has us encamped in. We got to get past that. We need to aim our eyes up and we need to get back on an eternal mission. And the lost need to matter to us. Lost people matter to God. Jesus wept over the lostness. Jesus ugly cried over the lost. Here's another reason that we should ugly cry over the lost. We need to weep over the lost is, is this, why we should cry like Jesus. All denominations have lost millions of people, all of them. Whether in the denominations, I mention them because they, they count people really well. That's how we kind of know, uh, and their, their numbers are public. So you can, just, you can just see there's been a huge decline. The Southern Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, Anglican, Church of God, Church of Christ, it doesn't matter. All of them, the Catholic Church, all of them have had steep declines in at least the past 12 years or so. And not only that, not only attendance, because I know some of you will say, and watching online, you may be thinking, well, you don't have to go to church to church attendance. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm thinking, well, yeah, you don't need oxygen to be human, but if you want to live, you do. So, uh, but, but I understand that. But, but even... Even faith in Jesus has taken uh, a, a real nosedive. Now, Jesus is still popular uh, and, and the way people want to look at him and define him and, and even bring him into their little camps, that's still really popular. But I'm talking about real faith in Christ where we trust him for forgiveness of sin. We ask him into our heart. We would say, yeah, Jesus lives in me and he makes a difference in my life every day. I follow him. That kind of belief is, is, is staggeringly low. In fact, it's, both of those are at historical lows. In our 250, 60, 70 years, however old our country is, it's never been lower per population. We are at a historical time. Uh, and, and, and listen, it would be easy for us to say, well, we know Jesus. We know him. So we're just going to eat, drink, and be merry because we may have lost this battle, but we win the war. I've read Revelation. We, we win. Jesus comes back a second time. He's going to take us with him. We, we, we win. So it'd be easy just to give up. We've lost the battle for our nation. So let's just, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. But here's why we're not going to do that. Because we're not the first people in a particular area, in a particular time, that have had this happen. It's the first time for us, but it's not the first time for others. And, and, and in fact, the very first 12, the 12 disciples saw people leave by the truckload 
The 12 disciples saw Jesus' popularity and the popularity about, about making real commitment to him nosedive. It's in John 6. We're going to read it in just a moment, but let me give you a little background. The, in, by the time you get to John 6, man, the, Jesus was wildly popular. There were big crowds following him. Uh, he couldn't go anywhere that there weren't crowds, but they were following for the show. What's he going to do today? Who's he going to heal? You going to raise a dead man? What's he going to do? And, and I could just see a couple of guys talking about it. Hey, let's go, let's go see. Let's go watch. Let's see what Jesus is going to do today. And one of them, you know, is going to say, well, do we need to bring food? And, no, Jesus caters, man. 5,000 people he fed, you know. They're like, we're, we're, we're just going to go see the show. And Jesus feels that. He knows that. You know, he is deity. He, he knows what's in the heart of people. And so he bottom lines it for the big crowds one day. He says, your ancestors, our forefathers, ate bread, manna, and they're dead. I'm the bread of life. Eat of me, and you never die. Drink of me, and you never die. You have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now, we know he's spiritualizing that. That's where we take communion, right? We, we, we take symbolically of the blood and the body of Christ. And, and that's basically what he's talking about. I am the bread of life. Eat of me and you'll, you'll never die. And, and immediately people start backing up. Oh, wait a minute. What was that? Jesus said, did you hear that? Did I mishear that? They, they, they start backing up and they start leaving because they miss the deeper things of God. And by the way, it's true today. If you're just here for the show, you will miss the deeper things of God. And you won't be here long. If you're online, you're just here for the show you'll miss the deeper things of God. And so they did. They start leaving, and that's where we're going to pick it up. Big crowds are exiting. It's crowded at the exit door, and Jesus is going to talk to his disciples. Let's look at it in John 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, and this breaks my heart. He says, do you also want to go away? And I love verse 68. Simon, Peter, Peter gets it wrong a lot, but this time he nails it on the head. And you need to memorize this, church. You will need this. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where are we going to go? Everybody's leaving. What we've been, what we've, maybe even what we've been depending upon is seeming to go away. And now we're having to depend upon God. Lord, where are we going to go? We're standing here with you. We're standing on you. And we come to know and believe that, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I hope that's where you are today. I hope you've had your faith shaken. And by the way, if you live long enough, you will. Someone's going to leave. Someone's going to walk out. You're going to lose a job. You're going to get a bad health report. Something in the economy is going to change. You lose your job. You lose your home, whatever. You're going to get shaken up. And when you do, there's going to be that voice. Do you want to go away as well? But it's comforting, church. It, 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 and it's an amazing thing that this, this thing we stand on called faith, this, this rock which is Jesus, is solid and it stands and we can say just as the disciples did I don't care if everybody leaves I don't care if I lose everything I don't care what happens 
to me. I've come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. If everybody leaves, I'm not leaving. We can stand on that church. I hope you're at that point today because it's when we're at that point that awakening can happen. We're not depending on all these other things. We've released those to God and now he's directed us and redirected us to dependence upon him. And we get out of our little camps. We release those. We confess those. We repent of those. And we get back to the eternal business of God, which is winning the lost, which is saving souls. Now, I want to talk about some of these great awakenings. Because, again, when we're at this point, that's when awakening can happen. So I want to, I want to read some of these. It's going to show you that they've happened all over the world. Let's look at it. Pyongyang, Korea in 1907. And by the way, the largest churches, I didn't know this till Pastor Eric told me, the largest churches in the world are not in America. They're not in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, some big ones there, but they're not. They're in South Korea. The largest churches in the world are in South Korea. There will be a church this morning that has 400,000 people in it, in one church. There are several others that have multiple Tens of thousands in them as well. I want, to read, I want to read this. This is Pyongyang. Now, this is now in North Korea. In fact, it's the capital of North Korea. But this, and, and, and I guarantee you, there's still an underground church that's very much alive there. But, but this was before North and South. This is in 1907, so 115 years ago. I just want to read a little bit of it. 115 years ago, Pyongyang saw the outbreak of a massive revival. The high point was when a Presbyterian missionary, William Blair, preached to thousands of Korean men. The missionaries on Korean Christians had been praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for revival and repentance. And it came on that Saturday night in January of 1907. Many at the meeting began praying out loud, and soon the signs of awakening began to appear. As one missionary described it, the sound of many praying at once didn't bring confusion but a vast harmony of sound and spirit, a mingling together of souls moved by an irresistible impulse to prayer. It sounded more like falling waters and an ocean of prayer beating against God's throne. It was not many, but it was one, born of one spirit, lifted to one Father above, just as on the day of Pentecost. Uh, then I'll skip a little bit. He says, man after man would rise, confess his sins, break down and weep, and then throw himself to the floor. Sometimes after a confession, the whole audience would break out in audible prayer. And the effect of that audience of hundreds of men praying began in, uh, was something indescribable. Again, after another confession, they would break out in uncontrollable weeping. And we would all weep, and we could not help it. And the meeting went on until 2 o'clock in the morning with confession and weeping and praying. And that was the beginning. By the way, it lasted for several more days and the church that meets today in South Korea that has 400,000 people in it owe their existence to this movement that started 115 years ago, this great awakening in Pyongyang, uh, Korea. Here's another one. The, the underground church in China. The underground church in China. Now, there is an above-ground church, so to speak, in China uh, that's very open. It's regulated by the communist government. Uh, so it, it, they watch everything that goes on. Uh, so it's basically dead. It's there for show. There are some believers that go there, but it's not growing. It can't grow. It's not allowed to grow. 
The church that's growing in China is the underground church. It's the church that the government knows exists, but they can't really find where it exists. It's, it's a hidden church, and yet it's sweeping. And some uh, numbers say that upwards of 100 million people or more actually are in the underground church in China. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Rachel, in 2005 was going through, she took two trips to China, evangelical trips, and they were going through, and I'm glad as a dad I didn't really know the extent of where they were, because I would have been worried, but they were, in, uh, they, they were in a very rural part of China with a map, uh, with a guide, and with some interpreters. They were high school and college age kids, and, and, and so they were following the map, uh, getting in buses until the road would run out, and then finding the village that was there on the map, and, and telling them about Jesus. And she said, so many of these villagers had never heard the name of Jesus. So they were evangelizing. They were telling them about Jesus and God's love. And then they come across a, a village that's not on the map. That's that one. And everybody there knows about Jesus. Not on a map. The village shouldn't be here. We're right here, but there's no village but on the map. But yet here it is. And everyone in that village knew about Jesus. They had, they had Bibles. They had hymnals. They had church on Sunday. The, the, the missionary that was there 70, 80 years earlier had to leave. But Jesus stayed. And, and, and this, she said, it was an ama- she said it's the, the, the most amazing worship experience uh, of my life. And that's my daughter. She's on our right, by the way, okay? <laughs> she'll, she'll be here next service. So, uh, but, but she told me, she said, Dad, first of all, she said, I could, have, I could have never come home and I would have been fine. That's, that's I mean, it did just her heart and, and going through and telling people about Jesus. She said, I, would have, I could have spent my whole life there. But she said, that little lady right there, she said, I, I knew Jesus that I knew lived in her. She said, I could see it on her face. I could see him on her face. I could see him in her eyes. She said, when we, when we talked through the interpreter, she said, I knew. We knew the same Jesus. And they held hands, their, their group and the, and, and, and the village, they, on Sunday, they held hands, they sang hymns, and the only word they had in common was Hallelujah. And when they would hit that, she said, it was just amazing. Everybody was, they were crying, we were crying, said it was just an amazing experience. Don't tell me God's not at work. There's a, I mean, there, he's still there today. There's, there's there, in China, in a rural part, not even on a map, Jesus is there. I love that. The East African revival. Here's another one uh, of, of about 110 years ago. We're going to go quickly now, but it was it was, it went from east to west, and now the largest churches in, in Africa have 60,000 people. There's a church in Nigeria this morning that will have 60,000 people in it. We think the mega church was invented in America. We, we don't even hold a candle to, to these guys. I mean, it wasn't. When there's a movement that goes through like that, it's going to pack things out, I guarantee you. The Great Awakening in England and at least three in America Two big ones and, and, and a third uh, smaller one. But, but the Great Awakenings in England and in America with men like John Newton and Charles Wesley. And I, I'm not going to do a bunch on that. I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about that because there's libraries written on that. And you need to, to, to read about that. 
But I'll tell you this, that first awakening in England and the first and even the second one in America, they, they did some, you know, these things were divided over, these social, these cultural, these political things. Uh, what they did was give influence to the abolitionist movement, the anti-slavery movement. When people who owned other humans were radically saved and Jesus now is in them and they saw their sin of owning other people and they let them go and they began to turn and to give their influence to this movement. That's how things change, not dividing up the way we've been doing it. And so it didn't start the abolitionist movement, but it gave influence to it. It gave power to it, and it helped move it across the goal line. Here's one of my favorites, and this is the last one we're going to talk about. The Little Treasure Orphanage in Pakistan. Look at those little faces. Just beautiful little children. It's a husband and wife team, and they, they take street children. They take children that have been abandoned, or their parents were killed by the Taliban, or they've been sexually traded or whatever, abused. They take them in. They get them medical care. They clean them up. They give them good food. They give them housing. Uh, they, they teach them to read. They educate them. They teach them about Jesus. And then they all go serve their community. It's, it's about 30 to 50 kids. It's not very big. But they're making a big, big difference. Church, I think, I know Jesus is coming back. I know the second coming. But I think in his humanity, if he were just to come back and hang out, not second coming, just come out, hang out. I think he may hang out with that little treasure orphanage in Pakistan or that, that group in China. How can we have these things happen here today? How can we have awakenings happen here again? It begins with you. It begins with me. It begins with us. It begins with the church. It begins with us releasing all of those little camps that we have. It begins with the church releasing its sin of division and getting its eyes back on what matters eternally and crying over what Jesus cried over. It begins with us. I want to look at 2 Chronicles 7. We're just going to put verse 14 up. If you've been in church any time at all, you know, you know this verse. It's the dedication of the temple. And this is Solomon. And Chronicles is written from a priestly perspective. So he's talking about from a priestly perspective, and, 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 and Solomon is, is telling, what, what do these people do? What do we do to be blessed? We're dedicating the temple. Lord, how can we be blessed as your people? Now, this is originally written to Israel, but we're grafted in. We're the people of God also. And so read this as if it is being spoken to you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's still a promise. I believe it with all my heart to us. If my people, it starts with us. Husbands, I want to personalize a little bit. You're the priest of your home. Act like it. You're the priest of your home. Your children need to hear you pray. Your wife needs to hear you pray for her. You need to gather your family around. Here's an action step. Before Sunday, Easter's coming, folks. We want to be ready. We want to do this. We want to get our hearts right. We want to watch God move and do amazing things. It starts with us. If you're a single parent, then you're the priest of your home. It starts with you. Gather your children if you have children. If it's a husband and wife, pray. If you're a single person, 
You're the priest of your home. Pray. Everyone pray for Easter. Pray that people who are invited come. Pray pray for people just to be led here who weren't invited. Pray for the Spirit to move on that day. Pray for Pastor Eric to be refreshed and ready and passionate. And pray that God shows up and shows off in amazing ways. And a movement of God begins here. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.